0: Hi, my name is Sigil Ashraf and you're listening to Call Me Beta, the podcast where I dutifully check in with my dad Farasat and my uncle Sabahat, who goes by iFakir online. Join us as we invariably end up in animated discussions on current events, social issues, South Asian culture, history, and American pop culture. Note, I refer to my dad as Abu and my uncle as Jachu. It's family, it's politics, and sometimes it's just family politics. Hey, salam Abu.
1: How alaikum? on. Kuch Where have you been? It's been a while.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, finals and stuff. Hold on, one second. Uh, I think okay, you... okay. Yeah, Josh, are you there?
1: I think yep. you've had you've Hello. had like two you've had like two finals and uh, ter- midterms or whatever since we've like had a long discussion.
0: Yeah, yeah. I had. Uh, I was, you know, doing my liberal arts stuff, and then. Uh, <laughs> i was I was just in Jersey, so I just got back to Delaware. I was in Jersey the last few days at Moms so
1: you know before we i uh, we used to have a problem explaining what uh, Chachu was studying or working in, and now I have a difficulty telling people what you're doing a master's in,
0: yeah, both Daddy and Mom keep asking me, what are you studying again? What are you studying again? All Mom remembers <laughs> is the school, and that's it so
1: <laughs> I mean that's enough Johns Hopkins is enough yeah 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 so. for for them, you should just say i make a thing. <laughs> Oh,
0: yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess technically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, MLA. when you say MLA, nobody knows what you're talking about. Like if any, even Americans are like, what, you're doing MLA papers, which is not untrue. Actually, no, we do APA. But anyway, what's going on? <laughs> what's going on over in California, Jachu? What's going on?
1: It's raining. We oh. had a few years when we didn't get our usual rain, but we get this period in northern California, right? So yeah, I mean, no, okay.
0: going... actually, in, in SoCal, too, Kelsey was telling me they've been getting more rain and stuff.
1: They're getting it, more rain. But it yeah. rained in Karachi. I saw on Twitter all the Karachi people were excited and put, posting like all these pictures. Mm. Yeah. yeah. For for once it, it did not, you know, it, when it rains, it pours. For once it rained but it did not pour.
0: It didn't like flood and stuff.
1: Yeah, apparently.
0: Okay. What about, what, about, what about
1: North Carolina? North Carolina, we've been doing good. I mean it, it was it had gotten cold now, but then it's been warm. I think on Christmas Day we had 70 degrees. Ah. Right. And no, even but today, it was 69. My point on Karachi was, you know, Karachi has that thing where, you know, some years they get rain, some years they don't. It's both rain and cold.
0: Yeah, and California has a thing where some years they get fire, and then more and more years it's just fire.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, actually, you're right about that. The last few years, now, we hadn't gotten our usual, you know, Northern California has these periods in December when it'll rain for a week.
2: Yeah, yeah. And
1: for people like us that grew up around deserts, the first couple or three days are nice and fun. But then by the third or fourth day, you start to get irritated. Yeah. Does it get really cold? Well, define really cold. I mean, it is it is getting into, you know, all the 40s. Yeah, 40s at night, 30s and 40s, even 30s at night, uh, higher 30s. Orbita, what else is going on? What's the, what's the news?
0: I mean, to, uh, Tutu died, man.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. he was ninety years old. I, I mean, mean, so yeah, he wasn't. I, I, was I, mean, I to... mean, I on one level, I wasn't. I, I was like, wait a minute, he was still alive. I mean, I I thought you know because we're still alive. <laughs> because I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, he wasn't. You know, the, that end of apartheid and all that. That I was in high school, you know. Yeah. So, and he was ninety, right? He was ninety mm-hmm. years old.
0: What did um what like uh two two? I mean, I know obviously I know how he was seen in apartheid. How was he seen in Nigeria when you guys were
1: there? I mean, these guys were legendary, right? I mean, Nigeria was... You, you realize it was kind of the front line against Apartheid. So we had... I remember I was in primary school and we would... Even before I, you know, have... Actual... When did Apartheid end, Sabah? Uh, 80. When, did, when, when was Nelson Mandela released from jail and when did he become president? Wasn't that
0: 1990-something? Yeah, uh, I, I, was, I
1: was in high school. I remember... When Mandela got released, I I listened to it like live on BBC, and I think it was like not ninety, nee but I think where not we still in Nigeria, sabat? We moved out in eighty four. I'm not
0: sure. He became president in like nine
1: in ninety four, Abu. When when was he yeah, released okay. from jail? Guys, you you are, yeah, you need to separate out those two, right? Mandela being released from jail was one event, and then the whole. You know, then there was a process of negotiation, and then they ended apartheid, and they had elections, and Mandela became president. So there is some time between the two. And some of his most famous uh, activities in the U.S., like that famous, famous interview that uh, keeps getting quoted, was in the period in between.
0: yeah. So right. uh, apar- apartheid officially, uh, I think, ended in 1990 91. He left jail in 1990. So really, it was but people associated it with the 80s because that whole big fight was throughout the 80s. Yeah,
1: right, yeah, and, and and the thing is, for some reason, because uh, what Tutu died like yesterday, right? Uh, so yeah. for some reason, in my mind, until I talked to Chachu today, I was kind of conflating Tutu with the more with you know, in Zimbabwe, and you know, because in 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 Zimbabwe. Because in Zimbabwe, white minority rule ended earlier, and I think I was in like seventh or eighth grade. Right. I remember I was in boarding school, um, and uh, and so there was there was a there was a what was the word I would use a reverend there too. His name was Abel Mozarewa. So I was kind of conflating those two. I, because so mm. since I've heard about Tutu, I've been thinking more about Zimbabwe than I have um, South Africa for some reason. Right. I mean, see, the thing was South Africa was. Kind of the the fight that was more visible to people who were in the states or other places at that time. We were literally in Nigeria, so we had our focus in other places. And- right, I remember, you know, Reagan and Margaret Thatcher were uh, were you know, uh, you know, the president and prime minister at that time when you know R- R- Rhodesia became Zimbabwe and Zimbabwe became independent. So we kind of have more vivid memories of that. I mean, you know, Nelson Mandela was mo- was more. Of a global phenomenon, and you know, right. and, and yeah. we were in Pakistan, right? By that time, we were in Pakistan. Nineteen ninety yeah. was when I finished medical school. So exactly. yeah, you
0: guys left in the middle of the whole apartheid fight. Yeah, we, exactly. we
1: left in eighty four. I mean, yeah. I left in eighty four. Yeah. So I left in eighty five. Yeah. No, and I remember. Well, uh, the thing was also the the movie about Biko came out around that time. So we were actually more aware of Biko than we were of Mandela. I mean, Biko was kind of the rallying cry of that. Who time. was Biko? Ah. So, uh, Biko was the first really uh, political role that Denzel did. You need to watch that movie. So there was a movie called Cry Freedom. It was actually a book written by a white South African who had helped, I think had helped Biko leave the country or something. There was a lot of white people fighting on that side as well. His his first name was Stephen, right? Steve Biko, right. Steve Biko was this activist who was not in jail, right? Because Mandela spent all of that period in jail. Right, so he right. was more of a. At that point, Mandela was more of a Zimbabwe. rallying cry than anything else. The people oh, yeah. actually doing work. where, you know, Biko was an activist in West Africa, and then he had to leave the country. And there's a whole story of how he left South Africa, and that became a very, you know, became a seminal Hollywood movie.
0: Oh wow! Right. Biko, Biko died in jail.
1: Because they killed Biko, right? They wow. killed him. They arrested him and killed him and something. I think is, I I'm, I'm black. His middle name was like Steve. Uh, anyway, so but he Biko, was known as Steve Biko. He was
0: Bantu, Bantu Stephen Biko was his full name.
1: Bantu Stephen Biko, right? So Steve yeah. Biko is how we knew him. And we actually, I used to be in the secondary school when you know your dad was in uh, in in boarding school. I was in remember Ibrahim uh, Gusau Primary School in Gusau. You're right. And we used to have this, you know, morning assembly and they would, you know, march us into classrooms so we'd be singing some sort of marching song, which is where I learned the, you know, the top of the, uh, the, the what's it called? The Battle of the Republic or more accurately, the John Brown's body. Right. Yeah. And so there's this one time when our teachers, I guess they just watched Cry Freedom or something they start trying to teach us that title song.
0: Oh, I I'd never even heard of this movie. I just have to see this. I love Denzel. Oh,
1: yeah, you definitely see. The thing is, uh, and it goes into that whole thing about Denzel, right? Yeah. Denzel yeah. has this amazing career where he has, in various movies, he has played, Uh, think about it. He has Malcolm. played Steve Biko. He has played Mandela. He has played Malcolm. Has he played Mandela? When did he play it, Mandela? In some movies, he didn't he play Mandela. well-regarded movie has someone It other, was like, Morgan Freeman. He... It was Morgan Freeman who played Mandela. No. In the more famous movie, he has played Morgan Freedom. But I think, if I, maybe I'm, I'm remembering this wrong, but he's played, and he would have made a great Mandela. I don't know why they didn't pick him for starters. But I think he has played Mandela in no, some other. I, I don't think so. I don't think so. We can check later. But the point is, he has played. Even if we don't, no, play I'm Mandela, checking. He's
0: played Mandela, but you're right. He should have.
1: Yeah. No, he's played Biko. He's played Malcolm. He's played. Uh, the, a lot yeah, he's I mean, just amazing and in each turn i mean it, it's just amazing right uh,
0: yeah wow well, yeah
1: and he and i think he'd already got an oscar for that civil war I mean, movie
0: the oscars mean nothing to me since he didn't get it from malcolm so
1: yeah, but the yeah. problem with malcolm x was that neither the movie not he nor he the movie, movie could not get best movie he could not get back actor because malcolm x was such a controversial figure in American history, especially wow. in, in, in in you know, I guess, white American yeah. history. He's yeah, a very I mean, controversial. I would say especially back then, because we're talking about the mid-90s, right? We were barely out of apartheid at that point. And, you know, there was a lot. <laughs> and this was re- barely past Reagan. So I mean, we're, we're in... still talking about Malcolm, right? Because yeah, the, the, yeah. the thing with Malcolm X is that he was a radical. And by the time he converted from radical to orthodox Islam, and then he died like six months later. Like was again.
0: Later, they so right, so, so most of his him. life,
1: most of his active political life, he was a radical. He was a nation of Islam yeah. soldier. Yeah, and, so, you know, and he was he was he was a lightning rod for most of America for a very long time. He's only matured, you know, like a lot of other people, his memory has matured with age. Yeah, I mean, but, well, so, and also by the 90s, they hadn't really, let's be frank, they hadn't started giving Oscars to black folk pretty regularly at all you know? but i mean main thing it was malcolm x and I mean, at this point i will i will say what you know i i like to say is that if malcolm x had not died and which is one of the reasons why he, he was killed mm-hmm. he would have been a greater not only african-american leader uh, one of the greatest african-american leaders he would have been one of the greatest muslim leaders of the 20 20th, 20th century Probably
0: just the, one of the greatest civil rights leaders period. civil
1: rights leaders muslim leaders uh, you know and uh, African-American leaders. I mean, as big as if not, I mean, again, I don't want yeah, to no, no, blaspheme, was, but, uh, you know, as big as if not bigger than MLK. No, yeah. you you don't need to pull your punches. He was he would have been up in the category of MLK and Gandhi and all in terms of regard. I mean, yeah. And for, I, for I, I, a lot of people, I, I, he already and, I mean, for, And, and for, for anybody, you know, for uh, uh, the, the fact of the matter is that, you know, most, you know, white Americans don't realize that you know that before he died for the last six months or a year of his life he had totally converted you know he had become a very sensible and uh you know um what's the word i'm looking for uh, he, had the, uh, he had become a statesman he had become a statesman he had left behind the nation of islam and those radical wow. anti-white and racist thoughts yeah, no, no I yeah. and, and that's what i meant by his memory maturing with age right people are realizing where oh
0: yeah. yeah white yeah. folk
1: have and of course in the last I mean, there's been so much news in the last month or two to talk. I mean, the two people that were convicted of murdering him have yeah. now been... Uh, and let, let, let's look at all they that. They been
0: exonerated, yeah, yeah.
1: They've been exonerated. Then Tutu dies last week. This is also the week I've, I've been experimenting or hanging out in Clubhouse quite a bit. This week has been very interesting, right? The 24th was what we celebrate as Mahajir Culture Day. That, then we have Christmas, and then there's the whole annual discussion of uh, Muslims celebrating Christmas or marking Christmas. And by the way, this year, was I, I have to say, that was a very different uh, on both sides. Then the 27th was the death anniversary of Benazir. Yeah. And yeah then,
0: we'll, we'll, we'll get into Benazir real quick, but I, I just wanted to talk about Tutu for a little bit. Yeah, so, let's because, go You know, I so, like, I I honestly, I mean, I didn't get into all this. I became very, very much aware of Tutu when I was at Rutgers. um, And, you know, we started up the chapter of Students for Justice in Palestine. Tutu um, gets, uh, you know quoted a lot and invoked a lot in the Palestine. i mean in general a lot of people don't realize this but the palestine bds movement the boycott divestment sanctions movement is is just modeled on the south african movement i mean we had imam zikha who was part of the apartheid movement at Rutgers. we had him for an for uh, an event because he came to talk to us about his experience because we're literally just modeling it on what the and it's the same stuff the same stuff we get the old you're hurting native palestinians you're hurting south africans it's all the same same crap same arguments we get that the apartheid activists had gotten and there's that famous quote that we use all the time by tutu i mean tutu himself spoke on palestine a lot but i think i don't know the context of this quote but i think it might have been south africa itself the one where he goes if you are neutral in situations of injustice you have chosen the side of the oppressor if an elephant has its foot on the tail of a mouse and you say that you are neutral the mouse will not appreciate your neutrality Honestly, I've quoted that even in like personal situations, like you know, (laughs) it's so. I mean, it's just so true, and it's it's. Yeah, I I mean.
2: So so what what was the
1: you know in in the case of South Africa wasn't it more of like a countries sanctioning uh, South Africa on a country level rather than BDS which is more of a.
0: But that's the thing is BDS right now we're at the boycott level, but eventually we want to get to that sanction level, right? They started with boycotting Mm. goods. And, yeah, eventually, I mean, I mean, the last holdout was literally Reagan, right? I remember learning that, like, when it came to apartheid, the uh, uh, United States was the last country to finally be like, okay, fine. Uh, either U.S. or Israel, I don't know which one. And even then, Congress Congress was, like, ready to be like, okay, let's pass these sanctions, and Reagan was a the holdout. They had to, like, force Reagan to not veto it or something like that. Right? Right, and
1: yeah. The defense was a certain Dick Cheney. <laughs> and I think Cheney and Cheney at that point. No, wait, was it Cheney or Rumsfeld? No, I think it was Cheney, right? And he was, and these guys, I mean, the Reagan administration, <laughs> even after the way I understand it. It's about he, Ch- Cheney was in the uh, H.W. Bush administration. You might be thinking of Rumsfeld. And uh, Maybe I am thinking of Rumsfeld, but the point was the Reagan administration, even after the government of South Africa was in the process of deciding to release Mandela, the U.S. government was leaning on them saying, no, don't release him.
0: What, what were you saying with his? Uh, was it the Secretary of Defense? What were you saying, Cheney was? Uh,
1: Cheney no, no, Cheney was not there. Spelled, I mean, Cheney has been in and out of that office, right?
0: So I just googled Ronald Reagan, um, the Secretary so- of Defense, mm-hmm. and um, it says, of uh, Caspar Weinberger.
2: Yeah, I remember I, mean,
1: so, so, I think hard. I think you are conflating things, and I don't think either Cheney or Rumsfeld were involved in that. No, I think I, because I remember saying this about Cheney along the way. I might be blanking on what his post was, but he was in there somewhere. He was in the mix. Okay. Yeah. And and the Reagan administration was at, uh, against releasing. And, because, and, and, and how, or Britain with Thatcher, I think Thatcher was prime minister. And, and, and Thatcher,
0: yeah, was, and Thatcher, BFF. And Reagan
1: and Thatcher exactly were BFFs. Yeah, and and that's they were ideologically huge.
0: BFFs as well. That's, right. And I, when Omar was kind of like, uh, he's not very familiar with, uh, you know, like uh, British politics and stuff. So my way of explaining Thatcher to him was like, you know, it's the British Ronald Reagan, but like in a skirt. Yeah, I
1: <laughs> you know. And people used to say that kind of thing, right? Iron lady and this and that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, but see, those, and those were right-wing conservative governments. I mean, these were the governments and on the US side that had people like Cheney and Rumsfeld and other people uh, driving policy,
0: right? I have such a short memory. I mean, even when Tutu is still alive, even when Mandela was still alive, they had such a short memory that Cheney, all these people were pro-apartheid. You really think oh, yeah. just,
1: their minds 180? Like, what the? Yeah. yeah, but think about it. See, they were not just pro-apartheid. They were, some of them are old enough to have come up through. America had apartheid. We call it yeah. segregation now. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. the same system. Yeah. Right? So yeah. these guys were products of apartheid themselves. So why would they see anything wrong? Uh, 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 you, know, uh, you know, the thing is, we, we keep going off on tangents. Uh, was there something else? Uh, before you go back to Tutu, the, well, I think the one big thing which I haven't seen a lot of mention of on Twitter or in the news in the last two days is wasn't Tutu the architect of the Truth and Reconciliation yes. Commission? Yeah. Yeah. Which, which was a radical, uh, you know, sort of idea. Right. So here's the thing. First of all, let's actually take another step step back and for, you know, the young folks kind of explain who Tutu was. Tutu was the Anglican Archbishop of Cape Town, I believe. Right. Or Johannesburg. Basically, he was an Anglican Archbishop. Anglican meaning part. Yeah. uh, That includes the Church of England. Right. Right. The Church of England's international cohort, the global group that is headed by the Church of England is called the Anglican Communion and he was the Archbishop in South Africa which I actually have not done enough reading to realize how that happened and you know he came up think about it right in an apartheid country he was an Anglican Archbishop so there was already an interesting thing and his approach was because he was the Archbishop and you know I was just quoting this on social media he, uh, even the song Joanna which came out of apartheid South Africa is, mentions the archbishop who's a peaceful man, right? Quote, unquote. Mm. But so Tutu was kind of the, he was the eminence Greece, the sort of uh, the spiritual leader of the anti-apartheid resistance. Mm. But since he was Anglican archbishop, the government couldn't just, you know, get rid of him like, on the one hand, the government couldn't get rid of him or throw him or knock him around like Biko or Mandela or anyone. Mm. But on the other hand, he also, both, you know, because of who he was as a spiritual person, and because uh, of his position, was not an activist in in the sense of Mandela or Biko yeah. or and other Mbeki or anyone.
0: One thing people don't realize, like him being, a, you know, like a religious leader, people don't realize that, like, and this was more of a thing after apartheid that people pay attention to. Jew, but he was very, very pro gay rights. Like he, mm. like I remember a reading that, like he, um, there was one time when the, you know, the church specifically said, yeah, no, you know screw gay people and he would written to someone saying you know I'm ashamed to be anglican and he he had literally said things like oh if if god is homophobic I'm I would not worship that god if if ho- heaven is homophobic I would be like no I don't want to go there I would say no sorry like people don't realize how I mean before like this is when it wasn't even cool <laughs> you know like in the 90s he was very like you know uh, pro same sex marriage and pro lgbt which is i mean huge for that time and for being such a religious uh leader uh, people I don't remember that yeah
2: yeah yeah no
1: See that, and that's been coming up in a lot of the quotations from him that are going around the last two days, uh, and also you have to realize, and because of him, and basically that whole movement was much more progressive, and I mean progressive in the sense of these issues mm. than you would realize, which is yep. why you know uh, uh, South Africa was one of the first countries in the world to uh, officially legalize gay marriage, yeah, because it was this this very same movement that. Tutu to, was the spiritual leader of that was in power, right? So when gay marriage started getting legalized around the world, South Africa was one of the first to step forward. Yeah, I, I seem to remember uh, reading an article uh, uh, describing how progressive and how, um, you know, advanced, the, you know, black South Africans were, you know?
0: And so in what way? I mean, despite the fact,
1: ways. I mean, just in every way, I mean, despite the, um, you know, again, going against the stereotypes of Africans or African-Americans, uh, you know, that they were they were not, they were like a different breed, the South Africans, the black South Africans, despite the fact that they had been, uh, you know, uh, under apartheid. Mm-hmm. And so, and that kind of, and, and plus on the whole, I mean, we, our experience from Pakistan, from Nigeria, me and Sabah, growing up in Nigeria, Africans are not afraid to speak their mind.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: you know, uh, You know, and I know like, you know, of course, South Africa, Was is probably, probably, arguably the most progressed, you know, most advanced black African country, and Nigeria was the largest by far.
0: So, okay, so one thing you said earlier, Jaju, you said that Nigeria was the front line of apartheid. What were you talking about? I don't think I've heard that.
1: Well, the thing is, Nigeria, because of its, you know, large status and uh, their leaders, had always been. uh, I mean, they're the largest single black country in the world. And and because of the and also in the seventies and to some extent eighties they had money. They were very rich, yeah. Right. So they kind of took a leadership role on a lot of these issues. Yeah, they were the giant of Africa and and, And, and they were the giant of Africa, and I remember that they kind of led the Nigerian government. Right. Who was it at that time, Sabat? Was it Obasanjo? Yeah, Obasanjo, Murtala, Gowon. I mean Gowan. I think think it was mainly Obasanjo. Because look, look, Obasanjo came to power in 76 right when yeah, murtala 76. was assassinated so yeah so it was obasanjo and he led the right and they were i mean they were the giant of africa i think like they used to like to call themselves and they they played a very vital role in the organization of african unity and on the world stage
0: so this right. is uh, Segun, obasanjo, yes, yes. uh he was the you
1: know he because he, and this was when he was a military dictator you know he, he became the military head, the what they used to call the head of state, when uh, General Murtala Mohammed was assassinated in 1976. And so, and then in 19, uh, was it 1984, Sabah, they handed over to the civilian government and then Obasanjo later on, many years later, became a civilian head of state. So 80, we're talking about the 80, time 80, when... Yeah, 80, 80.
0: We give it. So the wiki page it says that he was under Murtala Muhammad. He was a chief of staff from seventy five yeah. to 76. Then he came into office in February seventy six, and he was there till seventy nine.
1: And- seventy 79 is when yeah, Shagari see, the, they the- handed over power to the civilians. Yeah. So then, yeah. what? Then, then but then instead, let's not go the, the, into too much detail. What I'm saying yeah. is that Obasanjo. Many years later, in the 90s or whatever, was also a civilian president yes. elected well, democratically. Yeah. But we're talking about the time when he was the military dictator, in a sense. And okay. I mean, I the Nigerian dictatorship and Nigerian military government was a very was was as benevolent as a military dictatorship can be. Okay. So, yeah, I, except so, for the last uh, towards the end. Yeah, <laughs> towards the end. Yeah. But anyway, so Obasanjo was the military head of state from 76 to, to, to 79. Uh-huh. And that was, I think, when he led that sort of push. No, but let me let let, let let me reframe that a little. Now, so, Abitya, as you were pointing out, when Nigeria was ruled by military rulers, we had a civil war in 71. So they had a ruler called Gowan. And then a different team took over in 76, which was led first by Murstala and then by yeah the one one, one military group over, uh, threw, uh, yeah. you know, so through over through yeah so whatever the... the point was in terms of continuity of this kind of issue it was a continuity but if you think about it 76 to 80 was also the peak of the anti-apartheid movement right okay okay so at that point the military the ruler of nigeria was a gentleman called general Olusegun Obasanjo.
2: sanjo okay I...
1: At that, because, you know, and Nigeria was very much self-consciously a leader in the black world. I mean, I think Malcolm made a trip there and everything. Mm -hmm. So at that point, these guys were throwing their weight behind the ANC. Right. They even even gave the ANC an office in Lagos. So basically, I think Thabo Mbeki used to operate out of Lagos. Right. So on the ground, the leaders were people like Steve Biko and all, but And Mandela was in jail. So Mbeki, one of the founders, a peer of Mandela, was the leader from outside the country, right? He was the one moving around the world and all of that. So these guys would work with him. Tabo Mbeki, the second president. Mbeki became the president after Obasanjo, right? After Mandela, you mean. Sorry, I mean, after Mandela. When Mandela. Exactly. He he was a senior enough leader to be the next in line after uh, Mandela. So he he used to operate out of Lagos, if I am not mistaken, right? The ANC had an office. You know, it's the same way that you know the PLO has offices, dip, almost diplomatic level offices. And countries. I think Nigeria kind of pushed back against Reagan and Thatcher. Right. Yes. They kind yes. of. Like, and, and by that time, and in within the Commonwealth, these guys were starting to become a strength. These larger countries like right. India, yeah. Nigeria, the Pakistan, they would do that. And amongst Oh yeah,
0: them, uh, the time when uh, Nigeria, uh, Pakistan had a chance. <laughs>
1: No, Yeah, I mean, we can talk about that later. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> so each of, in, on different topics, these guys would raise the issue. So, and even after uh, uh, Obasanjo stopped being head of state, he was part of what is called the Commonwealth, um, what's it called? The eminent persons group and things like that. I mean, there's a lot of history there, right? So the Commonwealth has uh, has used to constitute this group of former leaders in order to work on issues like this. Okay. Plus, yeah, plus he had, you know, Basanjo had, uh, uh you know he because he voluntarily you know they had elections and he voluntarily handed over power to a civilian government so that kind of gave him a certain uh sort of gravitas too okay you know right that and, and that is why you you realize as I, I, we've just settled out the dates right so 70 in 79 uh Obasanjo, and they'd been, you know, working with with the leaders in Zimbabwe as well. I mean, there was there was a resistance movement and a political party and all of that in Zimbabwe. So seventy nine uh, uh, civilian head of Nigeria, Shagali, took over, and then in nineteen eighty, when Zimbabwe became independent, that was kind of a very big deal in that part of the world and globally as well.
0: <clears throat> yeah, so, I, I was just looking through the um, his wiki page real quick, and it said that he literally. He said Nigeria is not going to take part in the '76 Olympics because it was in New Zealand, like because New Zealand was there and New Zealand had ties with South Africa. Like he was really like, nope. Yeah. If you are friends with with Af- uh, South Africa, I'm not going to be friends with you. Which I like right. thinking. And, <laughs> and you, you said... talk about
1: the British Commonwealth Summit or something. So
0: the, 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 this is the this is the On the wiki page, I'm quoting, taking a hard line against the apartheid regime in South Africa. Obasanjo announced that Nigeria would not take place in the '76 Summer Olympics uh it, which is in montreal because new zealand which was competing had sporting ties with south africa a country that was banned no, from competing
1: olympics country. olympics yeah right so and see we're that not, kind of thing uh, that...
0: south africa, we're not coming because new zealand is still chill with south africa
1: yeah i remember that. no and that is why south africa did not have an active cricketing team as long as they had an apartheid government right yeah i mean as south asians we know that right south africa was a strong team but it was kept out of competition and when when they came back into competitive cricket after apartheid went down, it was a major thing for the cricketing world, right? And of course, yeah. the, also the rugby world. And there's a whole movie about the rugby team and all of that, right? Yeah. Invictus. In, in,
2: in yeah. Yeah, that's
1: the movie where uh, Morgan Freeman played Mandela. Yeah, you might have them backwards, was it Freeman? Because there is a movie about Mandela as well. I, anyway, we can sort that out. Later. I think he, he, played, he, he played Mandela in both. Oh, like, Possible, possible. So, uh, and not a bad casting choice,
0: anyway. Also, apparently, like that's like in '77. He he went to the U.S. and he like spoke to them, like stop selling arms to South Africa, and he he addressed the U.N. General Army uh, Assembly. This is the uh, uh And then two weeks later, after he addressed the U.N. General Assembly, Nigeria got a seat on the Security Council.
1: Um, yeah I mean, I mean that's the elected seat with the rotation so that's it's, rotational. Like, it's
0: just cool to see like i don't know all this like i mean so when you guys were there i want to know that you guys yeah were watching.
1: yeah no and that's what i'm saying it was enough of a thing that you can think about right primary school we were marching to class singing songs about Biko. I mean, it, it <laughs> That's was a what huge thing.
0: But in your everyday life among your friends or even with, with Dadabu, your dad, like what was the conversation about Uh, like apartheid growing up? What were you guys, like? what was your perception of Tutu in that whole fight growing up? Like, do you remember? Listen, a, see,
1: for one thing, we were very young. So uh, we would have other discussions. It wasn't a primary discussion, but right. underneath it, I mean, it was a given, right? There were the bad guys. We were, we were on the other side, so to speak, right?
0: Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I mean it, it
1: it was kind of like what the Palestinian cause is in the Arab world, right? You know, yeah. So that so that's what South African apartheid, the whole thing was in Africa or in Black Africa.
0: I mean, although I would argue that Black Africa fought much harder for South
1: Africa than uh... yeah, yeah, Palestine. <laughs> yeah, but...
0: oh,
1: no, but see yeah, again, but yeah. Let, let me say this: you are also judging by different times in the process, right? We we are now talking about the period when the South African fight, you know, just before dawn, so to speak, right? Yeah, just before the fight ended. And on the Palestinian thing, if you go back and think about the fifties and the sixties, the Muslim world, particularly the Pakistani government, was very engaged with that issue. That's true. That's true. Uh, They were doing a lot. I don't mean to be uh, indelicate, but there's also a difference between the African leadership. No matter how corrupt they were, and the Arab leadership, you know, right? No, and the difference can also be looked at as the fact that a lot of these Africans were some of them were elected, some of them were freedom fighters, and the Arab leadership, quote unquote, that you're talking about, are all monarchs, right? Yeah. All right, Americans, exactly, exactly. Monarchs. Yeah, you're right, Gabe. Even even these, even a, a lot of the uh, Burdi, uh, African dictators started out as freedom fighters and, uh, and heroes, and then right. they became Although dictators I... later on. On yeah. that issue, I have to point out that, you know, that article we were all reading at one point about, uh, you know, that article from 2003, Zimbabwe. about uh-huh. Zimbabwe, when, when Samantha Power go- gets to the end, and that kind of clarified my thoughts. She lumps in, uh, you know, African freedom fighters with people like Mobutu Seseko, right? So she she puts <laughs> Mobutu Seseko and, and uh, Samosha Marcel and... Uh, Mugabe in the same category when Mobutu is the example of a post-colonial dictator and a person that the West was in bed with and which, you know, the West basically subverted good governance and democracy in the third world by supporting, uh, but, you know, tin pot dictators. But like did Mobutu start out as a freedom fighter too? I think wasn't Mobutu was no, but he was a colonel and he was part of the army. He was, I think, he was a colonel, right? Uh, Something Joseph Mobutu or something was a colonel, right?
2: Yeah, Yeah, in the Congo, and
1: and that and the freedom leader in Congo was Lumumba. Lumumba would be the parallel to Mugabe and to people like Tafawa Balewa and in Nigeria and all of that. We have to have a. (laughs) talking about Lumumba at some point. I yeah. Know. yeah. And Lumumba and Mobutu. So Mobutu was the equivalent of I e. Amin. He was not a C.D. fighter. He was right. someone that yeah. came out of the colonial army and took over the country. I mean, that is a problem that we're dealing with in other places that I could mention. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: speaking of other places, um, hmm. I don't know where you... where. You, I, you said there's a lot going on. I don't know if you want to talk about Pakistan, if you want to talk about 2007 in Pakistan. <laughs> uh like Abu what was it uh so what is it? how many years ago was 2007 uh 13, 14.
1: 14
0: yeah so 14 years ago today abu where were we
1: i know right sabat were you with us no nope. he wasn't. no you were oh, I, I wasn't have a whole other... I have a whole other very interesting story of that day right oh right oh, right right because uh, yeah, yeah
0: yeah yeah Wait, what's 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 your story jaju
1: well let me put it's it's on it's on twitter and facebook you can look it up uh, <laughs> No, the point is, I, I put my family on a plane to Pakistan via Singapore uh, one evening on the 26th. I came home, stayed up watch late watching TV and passed out on the sofa. And about four in the morning, my then brother-in-law calls me and asks what's happening in Karachi and, and where is his sister and all of that. So I, I that's how I found out. He said, you know, someone has killed Benazir and you got to do that. So, so I you, you were the, in California and you uh, right. I in okay. California. So I spent the next few hours trying to figure that stuff out, trying to call them. Yeah, Singapore. because they couldn't they couldn't come to Pakistan. They That's couldn't right. land in Pakistan. No. So but, oh, and, yeah. but, while this was happening, they were on a plane between San Francisco and Singapore, Singapore. Headed to headed so, to Karachi. I had to reach them at the Singapore airport and tell them don't go to Karachi. Well, of course we made frantic phone calls to Karachi to find out what's going on. Is it okay to go to Karachi or not? The by the way, I mean we to... haven't mentioned the fact that we're talking about the assassination of Benazir Bhutto. Yeah, yeah no, no, that's uh, the, yeah. Someone called in told, told me that Benazir had been shot and then Karachi was a mess. The airport and, was closed. The airport was closed. Right, so we had to reach them in Singapore and tell them don't go to Karachi because Karachi was a whole mess, oh and then God. you know they basically went on to the next. I mean, they, Samad, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't have to tell them that because the airport was closed. That there were no flights coming in. Uh, well, it was more complicated than that. The air, air, airline was saying our flight is still scheduled. We are not going to refund your ticket. Um, and, you know, mm. unless the flight is cancelled and the. Okay. So okay, so you're obviously you're frantically trying to figure out what to do with your your uh your
0: family like your wife and kids, but right. um, also at the time I mean were you thinking of us too?
1: Yeah, no, and I was trying to reach you guys. I talked to you guys in the middle. Of what's going on? And then you know you were one of the people that said, "No, don't." You know, Karachi is a mess. We can't even leave home. All of that. Right. right. So I mean, sister, you want to pick up the story here from our? No, end? but let me finish. Let me. Finish. I have a little more to the story, right? So okay. I did that. I called a friend of mine who was still in the army at that point, And he said, tell them not to come to Karachi. Even if they do land and the airline brings them, they won't be able to get out of the airport. Okay. In parallel to that, I get a call from the local NPR station that one of our journalists has referred us to you. We want to do a panel about Benazir and what happens next in Pakistan. Can you come in? So while this is happening, then I got up in the morning and go and, you know, I'm on NPR KQD. We should put that link in the uh, show notes. I don't think I've heard that interview so well. I don't think
0: I've heard that interview. I,
1: I just put it back on Facebook uh, on Twitter. I think. Yeah, I'm gonna have to put. I I don't even know if I was aware that you have done that. No, so we I, I was doing that, and of course I have to, you know, rethink all my thoughts about Benazir about what she was, what she meant for Pakistan. Yes, she was, you know, the whole thing. Uh, and then halfway through the show, everyone, you know, the host being a journalist, actually asks. I think it was uh, Rose, what's her name? Uh, and she's like, so what happens? How do they pick a new leader? And everyone's like, oh, there's a working committee. I mean, I'm like, guys, you are forgetting the elephant in the room. Asif Ali Zardari. The man has paid his dues. He's a very intelligent person. He's going yeah. to make her a play. Right? And then, of course, the rest is history. He takes over the party, goes on to become president of Pakistan, and so on. So that's my story.
0: Yeah no I guess I guess that I uh, honestly like I feel like maybe I should have been your daughter not Abu's because in similar fashion I was also passed out <laughs> on the couch I was I think he was in the I Yeah thought- we had
1: to go to a wedding that evening so yeah, you it was
0: know like honey's Zulima, I think that evening so like uh, they, they got cancelled like the way we went to the shadi then no no it wasn't no no, no no it, it was
1: worse. Omer, Omer Omer our cousin Omer's Omer got wedding got
0: cancelled the Valima also got cancelled
1: yeah no that, but no, that no. was a few not days not later just the Barat got
0: cancelled no no we we did yeah yeah, the, yeah but we did go to our you know your cousin's wedding and then there was another wedding that was there that got cancelled but basically for some reason and this happened with Michael Jackson and it happened with Hurricane Katrina too I, I don't even think I sleep that much but for some reason I'm always sleeping and someone wakes me up with some crazy news but like 9
1: 11, 9 11.
0: Oh, no, oh, uh, well, no, 9 11. I I, wa- I was watching Spongebob and I accidentally changed the channel, but that's a discussion for another day. So, um, <laughs> so I uh, yeah, so um, I basically I was passed out, I guess, upstairs in Daddy's house in Clifton on the like the gut, you know, how there's like a gada in the in front of the TV or whatever,
1: yeah,
0: mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, a, a day bed.
1: We call it a day bed, what a day. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's like a bed. Yeah. So Abu shakes me, he's waking me up, he's like, sigil, sigil, they shot Benazir. And like, I don't remember, I think, I can't remember if you said they shot Benazir or someone shot Benazir, but I was just kind of like, whoa, whoa, what? Like, like, like disoriented and like the TV's on right in front of me. So I'm just sitting up like, what is happening? And then I think we were uh, at you you, I guess you can take over the rest because I think you tell a story better than I do. And you were also awake before I was to understand what was happening.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we were getting, I think we were waiting to get to get ready. It was like seven o'clock in the evening. And that night, I think Sabaad was na our cousin was his way. So we were going to go there. And then I, I then I think I I think I found out first was first from a phone call I seem to remember and then we turned the TV on and then, started, then everything was so uncertain we had family because there were several weddings going on a wedding you know on the, our dad's side of the family there was one or two weddings going on in the uh, mom's side of the family and you know and this was just like four months after you know our dad had died yeah. so Dadi was in her mourning period so you know my our mom. And she couldn't go to us to with us to the wedding. She was going to stay at home. No, and that's the point. That is why I wasn't in town because originally I was scheduled to be, but I had we'd had to visit when he passed away. So I, right, and we were kind of going to alternate going to Pakistan yeah. to be with Ammi while you know, in while she was in her mourning period, her iddat. So yeah, so so I mean that. We, so we found out, and we weren't sure what was going on. Then we started hearing about the rioting, and then we had family staying in the hotel, uh, you know. So over the next few days, and everything was closed. And then we had that whole adventure, sigil where we went to the neighborhood grocery store. Motaz. <laughs> <laughs> we yeah. went to because mo- we need, you know, uh, people. People didn't have, you know, and in, in Pakistan, you know, we, we didn't have milk, we didn't have eggs, uh, you know. And then, and then, achha, and then our cousins were there, you know. Like it was, it wasn't just me, you, and Dadi. There was, I think, Tahami Motal were there too. So then. So in the afternoon, we found out that somehow, I don't know how we found out that the grocery store was going to open for like an hour in the afternoon. Because there's a lot of rioting going on. People were getting killed. Cars were being burnt. Yeah. And all the shops were store. And this, this grocery store, Mortaz, was famous for not closing three, you know, were being open 365 days a year. Yeah. You know? And it used to be that it used to be closed on Das Mahram and then they even started opening it on Das Mahram in the afternoon or whatever. So then, then we went there and then 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 we we were like was it we went in through the front door but he was like closing the front door after everybody entered
0: it was we we went in we went in through the back actually
1: yeah, we, we went in through the back <laughs> and then picked up everything we wanted and then he was like opening the door to let people the out the front door one by one for to let people out
0: yeah, there was one point where like when we were like abu just kind of started freaking out and he was he was either yelling at either all and he was like take sigil and go and i was just like this is awesome <laughs> Because <laughs> I was fourteen, so I was in a state of <laughs> yeah. like, "Yeah, oh my god, this is crazy." Like, you were of
1: in contextual- a state of what? A couple of I- contextual things there, I- right? We came was was fourteen-year-old. A- higher, and yeah, junior high, right? I, hey, was- no, I don't know. Listen, we were talking over each other. You said you were in a state of uh, panic or a state okay. of like excitement.
0: I mean, this was my freshman year of high school. Um, I was like half scared, half like, "Oh my god, this is so cool," half like, "What is gonna happen next?" For some reason, like, in, in situations of chaos, I think I kind of, like, start getting, like, a rush and start enjoying. I think it, I've heard it's a thing with ADHD. So, like, I kind of thrive in situations where everyone else is freaking out. Like, my mind is very clear and I know what to do. Um, So, like, I wasn't, like, that scared. But I remember there was one point where we were in the store and we were kind of, like, we were, when we were getting, he opened the door and we were kind of, like, walking out. And we were a bit more, like, calm. And I guess at this time, in Car- so Benazir was killed in, uh was it in, in Larkana?
1: Would no, you... no, it's, no, it's,
0: no, it was Karachi. Right. So, but we were in Karachi, which is where, like, her, which is her hometown. So that's why, yeah, seats were filled, people were rioting, there was cars on fire, tires on fire. So I remember, Abu, you were yelling at either at the Hami and Matal, your cousin, to take yeah. and go or whatever. Cause we were like yeah. from Dadi's. And I was just kind of like, why? Go? Like, in my head, I was like, do we have to go? Like, I want to see what's happening. Like, <laughs>
1: Yeah, and then you wrote that article. You wrote that yeah, article yeah. for the school so paper.
0: I writing an article for my—I mean, I was taking an intro to journalism course uh, in high school, so I ended up writing an article. And my profess my teacher, Miss—I think it was Mr. Barra. His name was. He liked it so much that he asked me. He was also the advisor for the high school newspaper. For some reason, I hadn't joined the newspaper club yet, so that was how I joined the newspaper club. He was like, "Could you submit this for the newspaper?" And it literally like our um. Uh, I forgot that the, the headline was kind of like like uh, 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 Benazir Bhutto dead, dead. Why care or something? Why do? I I do? To... Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Why should we care? So. Yeah, there's, there's a graphic of that in my family history album and Facebook.
0: Yeah, yeah, and so and I, when I while we were there, I did obviously I did get a hold of Jatju and we did discuss like what was the the significance of butto and the butto's But I what was weird to me was that because this was in the middle of the elections, so that's why she was there, right? Mm-hmm. So, that was the first time I wasn't really aware of the PPP. That was my first exposure to, to uh, uh, electoral life in Pakistan. And me and me and Mutal would watch the rallies on on um, TV. And we just found it really funny the way that, like, so Benazir Bhutto was the daughter of Zosekar Bhutto, right? Who basically has, like, a cult following in Pakistan. I mean, we always call, we always compare the Bhuttos to the Kennedys. Um, and Zosikhar Bhutto was, you know, 79 by Ziel Huck. And so she would, at her rallies... She would have this, like, nada, this this cry, this slogan where she would say, "Um, Like, yesterday's uh, Buddha was alive, today's Buddha is still alive. And we found, me and Mutal found that really funny. So we just started, like, chanting that at random points during this wedding season. That was, like, one of our inside jokes. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, she gets... And so, like, we hear that, we hear that, Nada I even more. And it was just, it was just weird. It was just like, it was almost surreal on a certain level too. Like, you know, being in the middle of that election and then all of a sudden this happens.
1: But and see, yeah, so- no, I'm, and see the, the thing is, just to also rail out this, this is all happening in the background of what is basically in Karachi and a lot of other places, the wedding season. Yeah. The winter holidays is when people from all over the world get together uh, because, you know, it's a warmer climate. So they all weddings are often held in the, in, in the winter holidays, yeah. not in the summer right. holidays. Yeah. And that is why there are so many weddings happening around you. Yeah, and, because, and then there are people from all over the place. We've all heard stories of, and part of why there were people at the home where when people visit, they will stay with different relatives around town. But in this case, on that day, in the middle of a riot, and that's the other thing. This is one of those typical third world riot situations where the whole city is in flames and you basically find the closest relative to where you are and you go to their home and you stay there for the duration of the troubles.
0: Yeah, yeah. And
1: that is why, you know, Sima, who was originally staying with me, mom, uh, ended up in Nazanabad, whoever yeah. was. You know, yeah. people just moved around the city and... I- i was just up, down with the closest relative
0: right interrupted yeah, uh, the mummy like uh, your cousin sima she so she was there with her mom and her husband her husband is a is a white british englishman <laughs> and I, we were all kind of worried about fine kalu we were like oh man what if they they see and, a white dude no
1: and, and they, their I, car got pulled over yeah, by rioters on. the the car got pulled over by rioters and you know like and i was reading on twitter today somebody said that you know they stopped our car and they were going to burn us alive in the car but then their leaders had let them go. Yeah, so something some... like that happened to Simavaji and Saimbai too.
0: Yeah, we were all worried about our one white relative. Um, but he was cool. <laughs> he was fine. And then Tahami Mutal were with us in Clifton, and their clothes were in Nazmabad with their sister and their mom, because we were in Clif- this the, the neighborhood of Clifton, and then and then they were in Nazmabad with our other family. And I remember they didn't have clothes for a couple days, uh, because we were all in lockdown for like three, four days they basically had to after 2 3 days they finally were able to drive to nawazabad and i remember they came back and for some reason this is a random memory uh, uh i don't know if Chachi how much you know about bollywood but there was a song um saina saina uh what movie
1: uh, was it bluffmaster i was just we were just <laughs> watching it yesterday
0: there's, yeah, Sena, Sena, so there's, uh, Bluff Master, there's a video of the song with Priyanka Chopra and Abhishek Bachchan where they do, like, a really dumb move that we call the, the penguin dance, where it's, like, a weird move where they're kind of, like, acting like penguins and, like, dancing back and forth, and so that became our penguin dance, and for some reason, like, again, this whole, this whole situation, it was just weird, like, so he comes back from Nazabad and he runs into Dadi's living room, and eventually he, he just yells penguin dance, and we just start doing the penguin dance, and, like, God, she's burning around us, like... <laughs> That's, that's I was right. showing
1: I was showing these guys uh, that song this weekend. Yeah, that's them. how
0: I dealt with uh, with the situation.
1: <laughs> Listen, uh, oh. before we, you know, our conversation gets too long, uh, let's go. Let's talk a little bit about a little more seriously on this topic. So, I mean, the, you know, the whole discussion about how you know how the West perceived Benazir versus what kind of leader or she really was, or how Pakistanis perceived her, or especially Pakistanis who were not supporters of her party, so you know, perceived her. There's that discussion, but then on Twitter today, what the main discussion that I have seen on Twitter has been going on that all these her supporters and people's you know her Pakistan People's Parties people are talking about her. Somebody equated her to MLK and and stuff, and then the Karachi wale, Karachi people, because you know me being you know uh, 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 you know what's the word I'm looking for, uh, you know a sentimental Karachiite and you know. Uh, Diaspora Karachi. I follow a lot of Karachi people on, on Twitter. So the Karachi Wale are kinda hitting back and saying, Yeah, you may be waxing all poetic and uh, about her her memory and this and that, but all we know is that our city burned, our I don't know really? what was that, fifty people were killed that day. And what was our Hamara tha? What was our fault?
0: Yeah, I did. Well, you know, Karachi, yeah.
1: Because I mean, yeah, you know, she was killed in Rawalpindi. Why are you killing and burning people in Karachi? And first of all, the Karachiites had nothing to do with. Second, this was her hometown, and so so they kind of pushing back on Twitter.
0: No, just I mean, just for the context, because like, you know, uh, again, recap. But like, so I remember, um, when I so what when I had a journalism class, I, my teacher also had me like kind of share the article and talk about it, and they asked me like what my classmates asked me, what is her significance on the political, like, like what is her equivalent? And I basically said, I was like, Benazir is like, it's kind of like Hillary Clinton if Hillary actually ever won an election. This was way before 2016, obviously. This is two thousand. <laughs> but in the back, it's true. Like, uh, so because Benazir Bhutto was the first female prime minister of Pakistan, she's seen as like a feminist icon. And because she was so friendly with so many liberals in the UK and the US, in the West, she's seen as like this feminist liberal yeah. icon bringing, you know, civilization to the backwards Muslim. Yeah, she was the first
1: um, female leader of a Muslim country. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, <laughs> and, and so I actually have a couple books on her, which admittedly, like the rest of my shelf, I have not read and I need to read. But uh, give, I guess what do you guys, what was your, you guys were there when she was actually in power. What was your perception of her?
1: To what? Yeah, yeah, I would go, you know, see, the thing is, there were places where I've had to one was when she passed away. Was a documentary that ran on PBS and PR in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And they actually invited me to speak about it. And I have the direct. And that's the funny thing. But that documentary also covers it. So, you know, talking about her, I had time to think about it. Right. right. So you realize, as your dad is saying, but also in Pakistan, especially after she got assassinated, she has become kind of a martyr to democracy kind of thing. Right. Yeah. So, and that is one aspect. The other aspect is that a lot of Pakistanis, especially when she hadn't been martyred, would focus on the sheer volume of corruption that happened under her government. Yeah. Her husband, who later went on to become president, and we've talked about, uh, was you know in, in, informally or in propaganda against her party or even in, in party jokes, referred to as Mr. 10%, because the legend was that he would ask for 10% of every government contract. And so on. Right. So there is a complex legacy there. She was sort of the, you know, you know, roll back another t- 10, 20 years in the late, you know, in the 80s, so to speak, because her dad was hanged in 79. Mm-hmm. She had become the rallying cry for democracy. Right, right. Right. So because of that, there is a lot of poetry about her that was written at that point. There was poetry that was written after she passed away but yeah. on the other side we also have the legacy of her government which was also corrupt
0: the, but, the peoples party right ppp
1: yeah the ppp government that was corrupt but on the other hand also the you know the establishment was going after her and of course corruption doesn't start and end with the ppp it, it other political parties are corrupt the establishment itself is corrupt so there is all of that right and on the other hand as bhaijan was saying a minute ago for Karachi, she meant other things as well. I mean, Karachi's representative party back then, the MQM, was in government with her at one point. And we were, like you said, we were there when she first became prime minister in 88. Mm-hmm. And there was this huge, because a whole generation of us had come to, you know, become politically aware under dictatorship. So she signified, her coming to power also signified an opening up. You know, pop culture opened up. And, you know, I I tell the story that when the results started coming out, when she first was elected, and we were standing around at a political booth in the neighborhood of another party, Mm -hmm. and it became clear that Benazir will become prime minister, right? So the dictator had died sometime before that, Zia, and so on. And she basically... Was going to be prime minister, and there's a guy standing next to me, and he was from one of the more elite. I mean, we lived in an elite part of town. Mm-hmm. And the first thing out of this kid's mouth, and I, by kid, he was a young man, right? Maybe in his mm-hmm. 20s or late teens, early 20s. Mm-hmm. And the first thing out of his mouth was Yarab, date koi tang nahi karega. basically that you know the police would will, st- will stop harassing us when we are on dates. Oh, because uh, that is what started happening under Ziaul Haq and his, you know, the Islamization, quote unquote, that has happened in Pakistan. Did you
0: guys ever get in trouble for going on dates?
1: (laughs) I will not confirm nor deny, but not with the police. Anyway, (laughs) the point is, the point here is that so Benazir, you know, who she was and what she stands for are two other different levels. And then I remember talking about her at one of those events where there was a documentary about Benazir. And the discussion, like I said, often either goes into corruption or it goes into what she stood for. And in the middle of that discussion, there is another aspect. She had had to work her butt off. She was an intelligent and very hardworking political leader. Whether she was corrupt or not or what else was happening is another layer. But she was, she really worked her butt off. Yeah, and, and from a she... very young age, she stood up to the military dictator, right? No, yeah, she had to. Zayalak basically. So, uh, so then, at I a pretty, she her... didn't just stand up. At a pretty young age, she was thrown in jail and then thrown yeah. out of the country.
0: She's often been painted as like a spoiled kid of a you know a political dynasty, you went to Oxford. So you're saying that she was definitely more than that. She definitely worked for what she had. That's what yeah, I mean. She,
1: so she was well, a spoiled well. kid until the day her dad, you know, her date, dad was imprisoned or, or, or right. hanged. Then she took over, then she became a real, you know. No, but she was also an anointed successor kind of thing. A lot of these autocratic people, her dad was elected, but he was quite an autocrat, even his supporters will tell you that. A lot of these autocrats groom one of their kids to be leader, right? With Indra was grooming Sanjay until he died, and then she groomed Rahul.
0: Indra was groomed Rajiv. Rajiv. And
1: Indra herself was groomed by her dad. And in the same way, Benazir was kind of groomed by her dad, but she wasn't part of his inner circle, and she went to Oxford, she, I think, became president of the Oxford Union, which isn't the actual union, you know, the other thing. And she was a contemporary of, I mean, I've heard Arianna Huffington say we were used to go out on double dates.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? That's how privileged her life she lived. I'm to their husband, I can't remember who. Right. Well, yeah, either way. So the point is she had that part, but once she was thrown into the political maelstrom when her father was hanged uh, and or assassinated, and she was, you know, first thrown in jail, then thrown out of the country. So she, she was tossed around in the political mix. That is a different layer from what I am saying. I'm saying, on top of that, she was a rather intelligent and person, and she worked very hard. So it was a mix of... About nobody can deny the fact that she struggled for democracy and she did, you know, no, stand no, up to the military dictatorship. And then I, that when she came into government, she came into power. That's a different story. No, but see, I'm talking about a third thing. I am saying there is the part where she was thrown into a situation. She had four other siblings. She was the only one that got into this role. That has a meaning, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, her yeah. brothers were the more hot-headed types. And I, when mean, was was, I mean, she was yeah, her dad's heir. Yeah, she was kind of... And yeah so, and but, but she also both was intelligent enough and worked hard enough to do a lot of these things right yeah
0: yeah she, in our culture she did have brothers
1: that, that that's why that's why she was her dad's heir no yeah right? yeah. because her, her brothers were hard And she has one other sister the only surviving sibling now is yeah. sanam right the who's the i think basically yeah she never came into politics so actually, so, so Benazir was that but my point is she worked that and you know the thing that also needs to be pointed out situations also and and you know, as if, uh, you know on the feminist side uh, uh zia used to try to use that against her yeah and yeah. and it also needs to be said that her political side has used that as a propaganda point too right so
0: no, I, b- I think that you bring her up as like a symbol of of you know like being able to have you know go on dates and stuff because yeah a lot what i like you know <laughs> just- <laughs> Realizes that Zia had the hadood ordinances, which were those basically the whole, like, women should not leave the house, women should wear hijab, blah, 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 which wasn't right. there before. And then Benazir came after him. So yeah, a-
1: and then uh, people expected them to be more liberal and more, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and by the way, so uh, detractors will also say, oh, but she didn't make a difference. And which is what I am saying. It's not as simple as saying that she was completely good or she was completely didn't make a difference. It was much more complex, right? This needs to be discussed in the context of what happened in Pakistan. Right, right. And you know, things did change. Under her, the media was liberalized a little. And, you know, at one point, actually, she, like any strong leader, also tried to stifle the media. And the media went on strike against her. Right. And then, you know, and then they had to negotiate like a code of conduct between the government and the media. So- which I often list as an example of what should happen under a democratic government, right?
0: Yeah, no, and I'll, so I one thing I was I mean uh, maybe this is my lack of uh, awareness, but I was so I was reading that book Taliban right by Emma Rashid. Um, Emma Rashid, and it, yeah. I mentioned in it how Puerto's uh, government did kind of deal with the Taliban and kind of worked with the Taliban and stuff, which was a little bit of a surprise for me, but not totally. It,
1: see, see, that's where I also say that sometimes we look at these things on one or two axes and forget the other variables.
0: So that's what I wanted to talk
1: about, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, you will hear two things about Bhutto, on, about Benazir. Because when we say Bhutto in Pakistan, you can get vague. Uh, <laughs> yeah, nobody calls I, Although her when Bhutto. we say Bhutto in Pakistan, it means her dad, not means her. her dad, yeah. she, she is Benazir or Bibi. So yeah. with Benazir, you'll hear two things. A, it was her, in, uh, you know, defense minister or someone who Interior actually is known as the father of the Taliban. And it was during her prime ministership that the Taliban gained momentum and became what they became. The other thing that comes up is that she actually was the person, and I think she said this in her book or something, who, you know, she physically carried the designs of nuclear centrifuges to North Korea. And both of those things you have, to me, you have to look at them in the context of the fact that even when someone like Benazir is in power in Pakistan, the military establishment and the establishment still have a lot of power, and whoever is in power has to work in coordination. They they are the power behind the throne. Yeah, Yeah, they have to do it. So (laughs) some of like the Taliban thing was basically the Pakistani establishment, including the political establishment, pursuing a foreign policy in Afghanistan or a regional policy that they've always pursued. I mean, before this, there was the Cold War and the Afghan-Soviet War, right? And before that, by the way, as someone was pointing out this week, there was already tension between Afghanistan and Pakistan. In fact, it can be said that Afghanistan started pulling unfriendly moves right as soon as yeah, we, we talked through. about all of this. Yeah, uh, no, but, but... They, there is a whole sequence to it. So they did this. So Bhutto, when Berzi, his father came to power, he started or started backing insurgents in Afghanistan, actually in reply to Afghanistan backing insurgents. So, it, you know, it goes back a long way. Right. So th- my point is that that kind of thing has to be seen in, with all of that context. It's not that, oh, she did this. Yeah, but, you know, the thing, the whole thing with the Taliban or even the North Korean uh, nuclear program, that is mainly the mm, Pakistani military or uh, intelligence service basically doing, you know, running. Because, I mean, to a certain extent, I think, like, defense uh, policy and foreign policy is written and, you know, and decided by the military. Right. right. And, you know, it goes back and forth a little bit. I mean, a little bit of Benazin, a little bit of What, what's his name, Nawaz Sharif, did have some input on that or they tried to pull some stuff, but yeah, as we know. And, I, by the way, before we end the conversation, we do need to go back and, you know, owe some allegiance to our own hometown. There is a, you know, love-hate relationship, actually at this point, more of a hate relationship between Karachi and the PPP, right? And it right. was under her that one of the quote-unquote operation cleanups happened in Karachi. And right. The, people have... the People's Party, you know, it mainly represents the uh, uh, rural Sindh. and mm-hmm. and you know the urban Sindh uh, urban sind or urban like Karachi and Hyderabad, they were ruled by MQM, which was like
0: you know represented our... represented represent yeah.
1: the Urdu-speaking population known as Muhajirs.
2: That.
0: Paper PPP says they're socialist, but I mean they don't look too socialist to me. So how would you describe their political like stances and stuff?
2: Yeah,
1: the point is they started out as a left of center party. Let's put it like that, right? They started out in the Cold War in the late sixties, early seventies, and they were founded by a team of people who were outright left of center. Some of them are social democrats and so on. Mm-hmm. And her, her dad was. An intellectual and uh, you know high, high functioning, narcissistic uh, <laughs> leader in 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 the same. I mean, I don't know how intellectual he was though. No, he was pretty intellectual. He understood shit. I mean, no, I mean he, is... he was he was he was a born politician. I mean, he was a born. Not politician. Just... yeah, but he was the vein of like Bill Clinton, and you know. Yeah, but then Bill Clinton is also very intelligent to the level of being an intellectual kind of person. Yeah, that's he what is. I'm saying. That's true. That's what I'm saying. That is the tradition he was coming out of. In fact, it is watching Hugo Chavez, because we were not too young. We were not even in Pakistan for when Bhutto was prime minister. It is actually watching Hugo Chavez and how people respond to Hugo Chavez that I started to understand Bhutto more. Or at least that's how I think about it. Because he had those charismatic demagogic leaders, with a strong intellect, I mean Hugo Chavez came out of the military, Butto didn't he was he was elite agrarian class kind of person right yeah so he... Right.
0: he was also he was also uh, kind of good looking like mom remembers like her uh, you know not nani her mom crying a lot when Butto was killed, and part of the
1: reason nani like yeah. Cook... yeah I don't know about good looking but he had charisma he had a physical yeah, had cat, charisma you know, he was, yeah he was a he was a good looking guy and he was charismatic again how you, know, you... Basically, I don't
0: know I think Nani kind of had a crush on him.
1: <laughs> I, that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm a straight guy, so I don't know how to judge guys. Yeah, My, yeah. But the question you asked was what do you think of the party? So the party started out left of center. It was a social democratic party. They were members of the you know international social sort of democratic circles and this and that. A lot of their founders were very leftist. And, you know, how in each country, the IMT, the Marxist tendency and all works through a party. That was the party they would work through.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But Bhutto increasingly just took it over and it, it transformed from that to be, becoming, you know, half party, half cult of personality. And then over the last and when you guys were saying, oh, Sindh was ruled by this BP, it was that you're only talking about part of Pakistan's history, right? What you are talking about is what happened after the mid 80s. The PPP was around since the last 60s. So, you know, increasingly after Bhutto passed away, the establishment also... Because originally, we can say today the PPP is a Sindhi regional party, but it was founded in Lahore. A lot of its original intellectual leaders were Punjabis. There was a lot of Karachiites in that mix. But yeah. it has now evolved and devolved into a regional, you know party from yeah. rural sin. How, how much strength does it have in Punjab right now? None. I Isn't mean, a... there are some so, some families, as they say, some power centers and families, especially in the south of the Punjab, South Punjab, the Sraiki Belt and all, you know, like the Gilani family, the, the Prime Minister, former Prime Minister's family and all of that. And so on. So there's some strength there, but that's about it. Hmm. Uh, And, of course, right now, what's happening in politics is they're trying to claw their way back to power. They have a majority in Sindh, and again, Karachi, the undercounting of Karachi's population is a chronic problem. If they counted that problem, they counted Karachi properly, you might even realize that Karachi's population is more than 50% of Sindh, that there is a mix up there. Oh, for sure.
0: No, I. you're definitely right that I've seen they're definitely calling, like, you know, kind of bringing their stuff back together. And I've noticed Benazir's son, Bilal, his Urdu
1: is getting a lot better. So that's, yes, you know. Yeah, somebody mentioned that his uh, Urdu had, had gotten better. Yeah. Me, 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 me. That was me. I keep mentioning that, <laughs> that he's actually learned Urdu better than his mom ever did, frankly.
0: Yeah, I remember that. Um,
1: but he also started out much worse than she was.
0: Yeah, so. Yeah, but the thing
1: is. The when man was, grew up abroad. The kid was in exile for
0: but I, I was but still come on, dude. Your mom is bad as your butto. Your Urdu should be better. Like, no, dude. but but no. He, when she died, wasn't he
1: like eighteen about He was I know, but that, and and stayed abroad till much hmm. later.
0: Yeah, so he, when he, when she, uh right after she, so 2013, uh, it was like December 2013 that I was interning at the Express Tribune in Karachi. And that was when he made his first, he made his first like, like political speech, yeah well, public political speech. So I was in the newsroom and all the journalists, they had the TV on, they were all laughing at his accent. Yeah. Uh, for that. And my. Yeah, but the uh, thing is,
1: I, I would challenge you to go back and listen to him now. He's a lot. No, lot I have, I've gotten a lot better. He's gotten a lot better. In fact, that's what I'm saying. Now, apparently, the, he's, he, uh, weren't, you gave me the impression that he's gotten a lot better in the last few months or like a year or two. No, Last few years. Last few years. Yeah. Since he has moved back to Pakistan. And also, he, and he's he's not a dumb kid either. Yeah, so he, he's, was, he has that blood. He has that Butto blood. So. Yeah, no, but yes. you know, people... Yeah, but you know, Sanam was also a So <laughs> there Shah Nawaz, and Murtas are her brothers. <laughs> a dominant person. I mean, just, just like we have that streak of intellect, intellectualism and activism in our family, which you and Sijal have, but I don't. No, but I'm, what I'm, That's what I'm saying. It varies, right? Not that I'm going to challenge you, or, you know, put my protest on that. But anyway, so the point is that okay, Bilal, well, by the standard of saying, oh, your dad was Benazir, your mom was Benazir, so you should know better. By that standard, Benazir Zutu should have been a lot better. That's she true, grew up partially in Karachi. She was Bhutto's daughter. Yeah. But, you know, she, she was elite. I mean, she was basically the definition of a burger, right? Obi oh, ki burger, so to speak. Yeah. Our conversation has gotten really long, so I mean, uh, they, they, I mean the thing is, we tried to stick to uh, the, our discussion about, uh, like, for example, in, in this whole, uh, we've talked about Pakistani politics for 20-30 minutes, and we have not even said the name of uh, you-know-who. Who? <laughs> who? Um, I- <laughs> Prison. Yeah, but we're talking about history, and by the way, you yes. know who is, is starting to become irrelevant. <laughs> I it's it's it, I mean, it's going a lot slower than you told us it would. We we we, we will do one on on you know present day Pakistani politics, <laughs> or you know we'll 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 do we'll discuss we that. To or to talk on. about it.
0: Yeah, we're gonna have to go. Oh oh oh. By the way, I meant to say, you know who it was that I was thinking of earlier? Theresa May was introduced to her husband by Bhutto when they were at Oxford.
1: Really, yeah, yeah. See, so she was from the elite, man.
0: So she, she was friends with bit Theresa May. That that That's sus.
1: That's us. no, but Theresa May might have been working her way up the ladder at that point. Someone like you know, this, hey, this, this, how old was Benazir and, and Theresa May at that time? They were like in their late teens, maybe early 20s, right? They were 20s, the hmm. students in, in Oxford, okay, No, but, but that's BTS point that that's how well connected. She was with the elite uh, everywhere. Yeah, of course. I mean, she was she was the daughter mm-hmm. of the prime minister of Pakistan. <laughs> well, maybe um, maybe but... even if he, he was president <laughs> for a while too. The may was. He was studying in Oxford with all these other elite people. Yeah, no, and <laughs> that's the point. And she has just as strong connections in the U.S. I mean, Strobe Talbert, I think, was a close friend and for a long time an advocate for her and all of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and then <laughs> and they, they and then they were and then they were all uh, you know presidents, uh, sons and daughters of presidents and kings and you know. I'll yeah, no, it. that's the point. That's the point. And, you know, so these people didn't come out of nowhere. Neither did uh, Ariana Huffington, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. long conversation, guys.
0: Yeah, yeah. I have to uh, I have to go uh, and try to um get some reading done. I have too many books on Bhutto
1: that I have not finished. <laughs> so are you going on a binge of reading about Bhutto on her at uh, Death uh, Anniversary?
0: Like, I finished the Zuzi Butto book and I have like two books on her. So winter break, that's the time. Did
1: I, did, I, did I ever send you the director's cut of the PBS documentary? No, please send that. I recently found a copy. Let me see. You're here. talking about the documentary The Day She Died? No, no. It's a whole documentary. It's just called Butto. It's a documentary on her. And the version that ran on PBS is I think about an hour long. The version I have is two hours long. No, but I'm talking about the interview that you gave The Day She Died. I want oh, to- that I can send you a link to. That's on. My I don't, I don't. I don't even know that I knew you did it. Okay, that's not yeah, that. I'll
2: send
0: you a link. Uh, for anyone yeah. who wants, to... uh, I got, I, I checked that out. But um, yeah, I gotta go. So
2: talk next.
1: Uh,
0: next week. Uh,
2: hopefully.
1: Inshallah, yeah, Inshallah.
2: yeah. All right, okay.
1: Perfect. Okay, Take care. Okay, Bye. Take care. The office. Hey there!
0: Thanks for listening. If you're liking what you're hearing, please hit the subscribe button to keep up with new episodes. We'd also love it if you gave us a follow on Twitter at tweetmebertha or Instagram at beta If you're not the social media type, you can shoot us a message at emailmebertha at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, and we really appreciate the support. Bye.